Well, we're so excited this evening. We're going to be kicking off a new sermon series. In a moment, Matt Southcombe is going to be speaking to us. He's, on, he's one of our clergy here. And um, I would love to, I'd love to give our reading. But what we're doing is we're digging into this new sermon series on Jesus' manifesto. Um, and it's kind of, uh, Matt's going to tell you loads more about it. I'm going to read. And uh, the reading, um, I'm just going to go for it. So Jesus rejected at Nazareth. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Great. Well, I'm going to invite Matt to come and speak to us tonight. Over to you, Matt. Great. Hello, good evening everyone. Hope you're doing well. My name is Matt. I'm on the team here. And if you're watching online, I'm welcome to you as well. Um, I am really excited tonight to be digging into this new passage, uh, a new sermon series. Uh, just to give you a little sort of overview of the whole year, if you've sort of tracked with us through St. Nick's uh, in the sort of academic year, we, we sort of view our different terms as uh, in three different ways. So uh, this is the beginning of the summer term. Uh, back in the autumn, we did a, a, a series which we called like a gather series, which was, if you think back to before Christmas, uh, we did a series around encountering Jesus, encounters with Jesus. And we looked at different people uh, through the Bible who encountered Jesus and had their lives transformed and turned around. Then, uh, if you think back to between Christmas and Easter, that's the spring term, uh, we did a, a series around discipleship, which was essentially like our, uh, our grow series. So we sort of gathered people uh, up to Christmas, then we were growing them between Christmas and Easter, thinking about spring, digging deep, and building lives of faith that, where our faith is going to last through the hard times and the tough times in life. And now, this is the sort of summer series, and we've gathered, we've grown, and now we are going to go. Um, but we're going to stay in for, for a moment, but um, we are going to go, and it, this, this whole term is about us looking up at, at how we can live out our faith, how we can make a difference in the world. So we've gathered, we've grown, and now we're going. And uh, summer is a time to go places, isn't it? You know, we think about travel, holiday, uh, getting away. This is, a, is, this is a moment where we can, in our faith, think about how do we live out our faith? How do we uh, go to where Jesus has called us to? So that's our sort of uh, little overview of the whole year. And this series, this Go series, this term, uh, we have called uh, Jesus Manifesto, the Jesus Manifesto. And we're going to spend a few weeks over the next few weeks 
looking in depth at, at this passage in Luke 4. Now, sometimes in, in, in our Bible understanding and our discipleship, it's really good to like dig deep into like a verse-by-verse verse study. What does that verse mean? What does that next verse mean compared to that one? Well, this, this sermon series is going to be exactly that. And my job tonight is to essentially give you an overview of this passage, uh, of what it meant then, of the context of what was going on in Jesus' world, and what it means for us today, how Jesus' manifesto can become our manifesto. And I don't know if you've ever imagined yourself um, and imagine what your, uh, imagine yourself as prime minister or as a president and what your manifesto might be if you were prime minister. Um, we played this game with our kids not long ago uh, where we said to them, imagine you're prime minister for the day, what would you do? And, you know, just sort of, you know, imaginary dinner time question thing that we played. And um, we had answers, everything from um, one of my kids said, I would make every sweet shop give away free sweets uh, so I can get as much sweets as I could. Fair enough, he's six, you know, he's, he loves sweets. Um, then we thought, you know, let's try and get it a bit, bit more deep. You know, what would you, what would you really do? And, and then it, it went from sweets to then trying to solve world hunger. So it was sort of going from, going from the sort of, uh, you know, the, the, the superficial right through to the real deep. And I wonder if I were to ask you, what is your manifesto? What is your reason for being? What is your reason for living uh, tonight? What it would be, what your answer would be? Now, when we, when we hear that word manifesto, I bet you probably are thinking uh, party politics, elections, uh, people trying to win your votes by saying, if you vote for me, I'll get elected and I'll do this for you. I'll do this for your uh, family. I'll do this for your school. I'll do this for your area. Um, and Jesus' manifesto is this moment where he's not trying to win votes. He's not trying to sort of get elected. This is a moment where Jesus is saying, this is who I am, this is what I've come to do, and it starts now. It starts this moment. Not when the, all the votes are counted. Jesus' manifesto starts at this moment in Luke 4. And this is the first documented sermon that Jesus, in fact, preached. If you read before um, the passage that was read, at the beginning of Luke 4, Jesus is sent out uh, into the wilderness, having been baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is sent out to be tempted by the devil. And then having uh, spent 40 days and 40 nights being tempted and tested and tried, he comes back to Nazareth. And it, it says in the passage here that, that uh, news about him had spread. His reputation was growing. And he comes back to Nazareth, his hometown where he was known, where probably his aunties and uncles and family and friends lived. Jesus comes to the synagogue on the Sabbath for a purpose, to launch his manifesto. So let's look at these words again that Andy just read. This is Jesus in the synagogue speaking these words from the Old Testament. And it's Isaiah 61 from the Old Testament that he quotes. And we quickly understand that this is not just sort of Jesus thinking, what shall I read today? Quick, open the Bible at a page and, and go for it. He has chosen these words specifically and intentionally for a purpose. Let's read them again. They're going to come up on the screen. Let's read them again. It says this. This is a Jesus quoting uh, the prophet Isaiah and the words that would have been known well to the Jewish people at that time. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So, before we get into the significance of what that means, what that meant then, what it means for us, I'd love us just to sort of dig a bit into the context of what was going on in Nazareth at that time. And, and hear about what's, uh, why, why Nazareth, why then, and why Jesus was saying these things. I don't know if you have an idea of what Nazareth might have looked like in the first century. Uh, Nazareth um, is in the north of Israel. Uh, there's a little map that shows you right here. And uh, Nazareth is in the region of Galilee. It's a Jewish settlement in the region of Galilee. You can see the Sea of Galilee there. It's up in the north of Israel. It's away from uh, other parts that are, that are built up. Nazareth was actually a tiny, tiny little village. They think it was probably only about four acres big. That's about three football pitches. Uh, scholars reckon there were probably only about 15 or 20 families li that lived there. Probably only 100 or 200 people. So we're not thinking a big big town, a city like Bristol. This is a small Jewish settlement of a few people. And it had a bit of a, of a, a rep reputation for being small and insignificant. In John's Gospel, as we heard last week, um, Nathaniel says, Nazareth, what good can come out of Nazareth? What, what, why, is it, why is Nazareth important? Nazareth, Nazareth is small and insignificant. And it was in the middle of Galilee, Galilee was like a hotbed of revolution and rebellion against the Romans who owned the land, who occupied, who uh, tried to overpower what was going on. They tried to take land and jobs and rule by force. And the Jews in that time were trying to protect themselves, protect their identity, protect uh, themselves from being overrun by Roman occupation. And into this sort of situation of political unrest of oppression and injustice, uh, the Jews worshipped, and the Jews were expecting a Messiah to come, someone who was foretold by the prophets to bring freedom, to bring release from oppression, and to lead them into salvation. And Jesus knows all of this. He knows the heart of the people that he's speaking to. He knows what they're suffering from and with and under. And he sits down and open, well, he stands up and opens the scroll, reads these words from Isaiah, and suddenly the penny drops with these people that are listening. His friends in this small town of Nazareth, his family, people have probably known him since he was maybe even a baby. Suddenly, 30 years on, he's beginning his ministry. And... What's interesting about this, and if, you're a, if you've got an eye for detail, I'm not a details person, but I've learned to love detail. And in the passage here, what, um, what Luke says is that he stands to give the reading, opens the scroll, and reads it, rolls the scroll back, and hands it to someone, and then sits down. And you think, fair enough, he's just done a reading. He's going to sit down. But what's interesting is that the person doing the teaching in the synagogue was the one that was sat down. That the teacher, the rabbi, would be the one sat down and everyone would be standing around and listening to what the teacher had to say. So Jesus, having given the reading and rolled up the scroll, then they're thinking, okay, who's doing the teaching today? Jesus then sits down 
and says, I'm going to read this, and now I'm going to teach it. Jesus is taking control of the situation. He's saying, today I'm going to be the reader and the teacher. And all the eyes, it says, it says everyone's, uh, the eyes of those in the synagogue were fastened onto him. They're desperate to know what on earth he's going to say. And what does he say next? The first line of his first ever sermon, Jesus says this, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, this is a phenomenal statement in the New Testament. This is a sort of like total Jesus mic drop. This is a total sort of moment where people are like, what did he just say? What? What? What was going on? And Jesus is saying, those words that Isaiah foretold and prophesied that are written down in the Holy Scriptures all those years ago, those words are now a reality. And the reality is that it's in me. I am the kingdom of God. I am the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for. And I am the one that will fulfill all these prophecies. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So let's look then at uh, what this means for us. What this means, or what this meant for them, or what this means for us. Here was Jesus declaring himself as the fulfillment of the prophecies. The fulfillment of all they'd been waiting for to bring freedom and a release from oppression. Since the establishment um, of uh, the nation of Israel, uh, God had given the Israelites commands. They'd give, he'd given them the law and different rules in the temple of how to worship, different regulations of how to worship and when. And Jesus was saying, I'm bringing a new way to encounter me. I have come to you, God incarnate, God made flesh come to be with you. You don't have to strive or struggle or try your hardest to get to me. I am now with you. So the first thing tonight, the significance for them then was that Jesus had come close. Jesus had got close to those people he was around, he was speaking to. And we read in the Gospels that Jesus spent his time up close and getting close to those around him. He sought out people who were on the edge, who were hiding up trees, who were hiding on the edge of society, who were reaching out to him in crowds, just longing to touch his cloak. He reached out and he got close to those people. And what we learn from this is that God is modeling to us. Jesus is modeling uh, his relationship with God, his Father. He's saying, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to be with you, to get close to you. No longer do you have to uh, try your hardest to get to me. I have come to be with you. Secondly then, Jesus speaks these words to change the narrative. What I find fascinating about this is the audience that he's speaking to at first are amazed and then by the end of his explanation, they want to kill him. They want to uh, pick him up, throw him off a cliff, and be done with him. Why? 
Surely they're thinking, yes, this is the Messiah. Yes, this is the person that we want, we've waited for, and he's here. Why do they go from all were amazed to let's chuck him off a cliff? Have you ever wondered what, what on earth is going on? It's because he is changing the narrative of their minds. He's changing the narrative of what they're expecting. This word proclaim, I've come to proclaim good news. Now, in those times, proclamation and proclaiming was probably to do with uh, more use for military victory. If the Romans took another village and said, yeah, this is our village, we're going to rule you, they would proclaim military victory. Proclamation was often used to display might and power and physical force and victory in that sense. Jesus is coming to say, I'm coming to proclaim good news to the poor, not to the mighty, not to the strongest, but to the weakest, the most vulnerable, and the oppressed. Jesus is changing the narrative. Good news not to, you know, the Roman soldiers, but good news to the poor. He is particularly pointing out those in poverty. Material poverty uh, would have been a massive thing in those days. They would have been overtaxed by the Romans. People lived in deep poverty. And poverty was on Jesus' heart and mind. We see it through the whole of the Gospels. He had a heart of compassion for the poorest in society. And we too today at church, we too as Christians, uh, adopt that manifesto. We, we have the heart of Jesus for the poorest in society. Around Bristol, we've seen the need since we've been here at, at, at St. Nick's. We've responded to the needs of uh, food poverty, job shortage, energy poverty that we see now. People living uh, on the breadline under uh, tough, tough situations around Bristol. And the interesting thing about poverty is that Jesus, again, changes and adds to material poverty. If you look at um, Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, uh, just a few moments later uh, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus is adding to material poverty by saying, there are other ways in which you can be poor. Poverty, yes, materially, of course, that my heart, our hearts break, but also poor in spirit. Jesus is widening our understanding of our need for the grace of God, each and every one of us. There's an amazing uh, American theologian and writer called Dallas Willard who says this, Blessed are the spiritual zeros, the spiritually bankrupt, deprived, and deficient, the spiritual beggars, those without a wisp of religion. Blessed are the spiritual zeros when the kingdom of heaven comes upon them. So Jesus is changing the narrative. He is saying, I've come to proclaim good news for the poor, good news for the lowest in society, not the mighty, not the obvious and the victorious. But secondly, Jesus is changing the narrative about who this kingdom of God, who this manifesto is for. Jesus is launching this manifesto, not for the Jewish community only, not just for the people in the synagogue or the, the village of Nazareth, which was a Jewish community. Jesus is saying, my manifesto, my fulfillment of these prophecies is for the entire world. It's to break out of Judaism. And in the next four verses that Andy didn't read, but you can read for yourself at home, verses 23 to 27, 
Jesus quotes two other prophets from the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha. Now, those two prophets in the Old Testament were sent by God to, uh, to speak about God to people outside of Israel. They were bringing a message to the people outside of the chosen people of God. And Jesus is saying, do you know what? I've come to do exactly the same. I've come to bring my message, not just to the chosen people of God, the Jews at that time, but to everyone, the whole world. So Jesus is breaking the kingdom of God out into the whole world, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And this is what got them from saying, wow, these words are amazing, to I think we need to do away with him. This, this is too dangerous. This is too radical. We, we can't have our, our little protected religious life broken out into the whole world. We need to do something about this. This is too risky for us. So they take him out of the synagogue at the end of this sermon. They take him out of the synagogue and they want to throw him off a cliff and kill him. And if you think to the end of his life, Jesus is receives the same treatment, that his message of changing the narrative is the thing that ends up uh, being his end on the cross on Good Friday. That this is a sort of, almost a a reenactment of what happened to Elijah and Elisha, being rejected by the people of God. And this is a foretaste of what's going to happen to him, being a prophet who is rejected. And then there's this moment where he is in the crowd at the top of the cliff, and it says this, Jesus walks through the crowd and slips away. Now, I don't know how you imagine this to play out, whether he just sort of disappeared into a a puff of smoke or it was like like a David Blaine moment of just sort of uh, like an illusion. I find it fascinating to try try and work out what on earth Jesus did at this moment. How did he get away from people who wanted to kill him? We don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us, but we can hopefully one day find out uh, and ask him. So Jesus is changing the narrative of what the kingdom is and who it's for. And then thirdly, Jesus was prepared to do inconvenient and uncomfortable things. Jesus models what it was to get close to people. He drew himself physically near people, so close that he was able to look people in the eye, to connect with them, to speak with them. It was countercultural what he did. It was radical Uh, intimacy that he had. Jesus was prepared to do things that were inconvenient and uncomfortable. Quite often, the Bible says he was on his way somewhere else, and and people called him to a, a situation that required him to be there, to perform a miracle. Jesus spent time and chose to spend time with those who no one else wanted to spend time with, those who were unclean, Those who weren't even allowed in the synagogue or the temple because of illness, because of history, because of uh, known sin in, in their lives. Those who were tax collectors that no one ever wanted to speak to. And he did this to change the narrative and to embody his manifesto. These were not words that he just spoke and then just went away and said, all the best, have a good time. Jesus said, this is my manifesto. I'm going to show you how it works. I'm going to show you what to do. I'm going to show you how to treat people, how God loves you. Jesus embodies his manifesto. And I wonder how Jesus would embody his manifesto in Bristol today, 
in this world today, I sort of imagine or wonder sometimes as I'm wandering around Bristol, where would we find Jesus in Bristol? Where would you think? You don't have to shout out answers, but um, where, in your mind, where would you imagine Jesus and who would you imagine Jesus with in this world today? Um, this week I came across um, an Instagram account. It was um, courtesy of some of the LD wires, actually. Um, thanks, guys. And um, the, this Instagram account is called Salt and Gold Collection. And uh, this artist is an artist called Jess. And she has uh, done a whole series of art uh, called the Foot Washing Series. And it got me really thinking about who we would find Jesus with today. Um, so I had a little look through this account. And the first um, picture I found uh, was this one. I'm just going to come up on the screen. Jesus washing the feet of a Ukrainian mother holding her little child. And Jesus, you can't quite see on the screen, but um, Jesus is weeping. Obviously, his heart is breaking with compassion for the, the pain, the suffering, the loss. And... I was thinking, yeah, I'm totally there. That is, that is where I imagine Jesus to be, washing the feet of someone in need, someone vulnerable, someone who has had oppression forced on them and who has fled. And then I scrolled to the next post on the foot washing series, and it was this. And I went, ooh. And it sort of like gave a little pang in my heart. I was like, ah, oh, uh, yes. And, and I had that moment, maybe you just had it as well now, just looking at it and thinking, gosh, Jesus washing the feet of the former president of the United States who divided America, you might argue, more than ever over the last sort of 60, 70 years. And yet, Jesus came to change the narrative the Instagram account has a little thing in, in the bio. It says, let Jesus turn the tables of your heart. I thought, wow, Jesus, you would react the same to every single human being on this, on this planet. He came to uh, be a suffering servant of us, to wash our feet. So tonight... As we launch this series, as we think about how Jesus, in his manifesto, got close to those around in need, how he changed the narrative from uh, declaring victory for the weak and bringing a message of the kingdom to all people, not just the Jews, Jews, Gentiles, slaves free, and how he did inconvenient and uncomfortable things. My prayer tonight for us through this whole series and in our lives is, what is God calling us to do? Where is God calling us to be? Is God calling you to change the narrative? Is God calling you to get close or closer to someone around you? Is God tonight saying, do you know what? There's something that you know is a bit uncomfortable, a bit inconvenient. I'm calling you to do that. Maybe tonight and this whole series is a chance for us to prayerfully ask God, God, what, show me what it is you're calling me to in this season. Show me where you're calling me to be. About four years ago in um, London, 
I uh, went to a conference, the leadership conference, which uh, we had here a couple of weeks ago. And um, I had it on my um, social media, you know, the four years ago thing. Had it last week. And four years ago, I was sat in the Albert Hall listening to a guy called Brian Stevenson. And Brian Stevenson um, is an American civil rights lawyer. He uh, is a black guy who trained in law, who felt called to represent the underrepresented in the American legal system. And this guy, Brian Stevenson, basically has spent his whole entire life uh, devoted to uh, justice. And he's written a book called Just Mercy. And there's a film about it as well that you can watch. And Brian Stevenson uh, basically represents people who have no other representation uh, in court. He finds people on death row that have been uh, unjustly tried and convicted and sentenced. Uh, some to death, and he basically, his, his whole uh, manifesto is that of Jesus's. It's that of getting close to those who are uh, underrepresented, underprivileged, changing the narrative of their lives, and doing those uncomfortable things. And I sat uh, and listened to Brian Stevenson for about an hour at this conference, and at the end of it, uh, 5,000 people in the Albert Hall stood up and gave this guy a probably like a 10-minute standing ovation. People were moved to tears at his heart of compassion for those in need. And I wrote down one quote that he said, and he said this, uh, the true measure of our character is how we treat the poor. The disfavored, the accused, the incarcerated, and the condemned, we are all implicated when we allow other people to be mistreated. If you want to work for justice, and care for the poor, you need to get close to those who are suffering. And I believe the same is true for us. The closer we get to people, the greater the connection we have. There is power in our proximity. So you might be thinking, what can I do in this situation? What, what is God calling me to in this, in this manifesto, because Jesus says that his manifesto is our manifesto too. Jesus called us to love God, love our neighbor, and then when he left this earth said, go and make disciples of all nations. Well, I believe um, God is calling us to do exactly that, to get close, to change the narratives around us, and to do those inconvenient and uncomfortable things. There's loads going on in the life of St. Nick's. We uh, run Food Hub and Food Bank throughout the week. We mentor uh, young people who are at risk of falling out of education, trying to change the narratives in their lives. We run debt advice and job courses. We run uh, antenatal classes for those who can't afford them or access them. There's loads going on in the life of this church. We've, we've run uh, programs through uh, the pandemic, and we continue to um, reach out to the needs of the city around us. If you'd love uh, to find out more, head to our website, because there's loads going on. Uh, and we've actually got a brand new social action manager or coordinator starting this week, who's Katie, so you'll hear from her, which is a really exciting news. Um, and... I would love you throughout this whole series because week by week, we're going to dig into each verse of this passage. Week by week, we're going to uh, maybe make ourselves feel uncomfortable. Let God just prompt us and provoke us 
and get us thinking about our lives. This week was Mental Health Awareness Week, and I, I believe that, um, in fact, the, the mental health theme of the, the week was loneliness, to address the pandemic of loneliness, almost, that's, that's happened because of the last two years. The, the result of what's gone on in the last two years is the deep feeling of disconnectedness and loneliness. And I believe that is, that is real. That is something that, that maybe you tonight here have experienced or are experiencing, just a sense of disconnection and loneliness with friends, with family, with, with life. And maybe tonight you are in a position where you can think, who, who am I close to? Who can I get closer to? Who is God calling me to say, do you know what? How are you? How are you doing? Can we meet up? Can we chat? How, how can I help you? Maybe tonight you need to do that reaching out and, and say, do you know what? I'd, I'd love to chat to someone. I'd love to meet with someone. I'd love to pray with someone. There are people here tonight that would love to do that for you and with you. One of the most dangerous prayers I think I ever prayed was a prayer from a song that many of you might have known. And the prayer is simply this, God, would you break my heart for what breaks yours? Would you break my heart for what breaks yours? And I think when we pray that prayer in our city, wherever we are, in our workplaces, going about our daily lives, God, would you show me the people around me as you see them? God will give us a heart of compassion. God will cause us uh, to reach out. God will cause us to do the inconvenient, the uncomfortable things. We each have a part to play in this. Because Jesus' manifesto that he brought, he left with us. It wasn't something just for him. The kingdom of God uh, was for now and for the future and all time. And we are part of that today. We get to play our part in all that's going on that God wants to do to bring light in place of darkness, to bring hope uh, where there is fear, to bring freedom where there is captivity. So my prayer tonight is that you would know your calling in this, that God would be prompting you prayerfully as you, as you seek him, that God would, God would be speaking to you. And as we do that, we will see his kingdom advance. We will see his kingdom come in Bristol and this nation in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.